This is It Was a Thing on TV. Spoiler number one is Dr. Lee Franz. It stinks. What is going on? <laughs> what is going on? Episode 41, Submission 594, Double Dare. Double Dare originally aired on CBS from December 13th, 1976 to April 29th of 1977 for 96 episodes. Take a risk. Take a chance. Take a dare. Play the game of Double Dare with the host of Double Dare, Alex Trebek. Okay, we've got a good audience with us today, so let's get right to work. On so Double before Dare. Nickelodeon made Double Dare into a household name, there was a little show on CBS created by a guy by the name of Jay Wolpert. It was supposed to be the return of the Great Isolation Booth Game Show. This show is basically what happens when Jeopardy and 21 have a baby. Have a games big old game show baby kind of sort of it gets a little different when we get to the the bonus round but we'll we'll get to that later so double dare uh as chico alluded to had uh two contestants in uh, isolation booths and the easy way of putting it is they were trying to guess the identity of people places things based on clues. They were given up to 10 clues, starting with most difficult, obviously, and then working your way to really ridiculously easy clues. And so the idea was, if you knew what the answer was, you hit your lockout button, it closed off the isolation booth of the opposing player, and you gave an answer. And if you're right, you won $50. If you're wrong, then the opponent gets to see the next clue as a penalty to the person who guessed incorrectly because they'll never see that clue. Woo! Yep. Now, after a right answer is given, here's where it gets a little bit difficult. And after seeing the next clue, you have the opportunity to dare the opponent to answer. If they're right, they win $50. But if they're wrong, you get an additional $100. And if they're wrong and you get the $100, you could now double dare by seeing yet the next clue. And again, if the contestant is right, now they can get $100. But if you successfully double dare, you win $200. So you can win $350 on one clue. And given you only had to get $500 in a game, you could conceivably win the game in two clues. I don't think it was ever done in two clues, but... Uh, I know there were games that it didn't take many more than than maybe three or four subjects to to find a, a victor. Yeah, I'm doing the math in my head right now, and the most you can win off of a clue is $350. Right. And the most you can win in a game is $650, which I think happened at least once. 
because I really liked the show when GSN reran it about uh, 12 or 13 years ago. And they uh, actually gave you closure, Mike. And they actually gave me closure, unlike Beat the Clock. That's exactly what I was just going to say. GSN, they actually did show most of the episodes. They didn't show all 96, but they probably showed a good, I'd say, 70 or so. Uh, it seems like there was about a month, month and a half of shows that were missing. But they did show, I would say, like the first maybe about 50, 55 episodes and then they showed the last maybe two to three weeks. But everything in between, they didn't show any of that. So I don't know if that just was never converted, is lost to time, what have you. Maybe the most memorable part of the game, at least to us, is the bonus round, which is called the spoilers. And the spoilers are three PhDs whose sole job is to prevent the champion from winning money playing a similar sort of game as to the front game, uh, except you had eight clues uh, and you didn't know necessarily the difficulty of the clues. The, the, they didn't uh, correspond to the, the number. And once you saw a clue, you could either pass it or you gave it to the spoilers. If you got four clues past any one spoiler, you won $5,000. In the spoilers round... There's generally like three really easy clues, sort of gimme clues that us normies could handle. And then there's like two kind of sort of difficult-ish, maybe throw you off a little bit, depending on when you play it. But then there's like three really obscure clues. So obviously, most people would give the obscure clues. There were times when a contestant felt they could get a really simple clue past the spoilers, or, or at least a clue that they perceived was difficult but which in actuality was easy, and that didn't turn out very well. But about the spoilers, they had identities of their own. You had some spoilers who were very braggadocious, very cocky. You had some low-profile spoilers. Now, they're all PhDs, and they had varying backgrounds. I mean, some of them were academic types, there was one who I believe was uh, somehow in the clergy or uh, in religion, maybe a minister or a priest. Uh, maybe their doctorate was in theology of some sort. You, you had a whole mix of, of different types of spoilers. Uh, I know Greg wants to speak about one of them. Oh, yeah. I've been waiting the whole show to talk about this. Dr. Lee Franz. So here's this one spoiler who has just, what was it, like a 1970s kind of stuff? Like, not necessarily an afro, but like... Like, like maybe a Jufro? Yeah! Yeah, yeah he has one of those 70s Mike Brady deals, sort of. There, yeah, you, Like of, a perm, there you go. Yeah. yeah, he's kind of like a nerdy Mike Brady type. And just when you that there's a reason why we have him in the intro <laughs> with Alex saying spoiler number one is Dr. Lee Franz, because he's like he's to me like the quintessential spoiler of all the spoilers that were on this show. Well, there were definitely a variety of personalities. I mentioned that there was a, a theologian there. Uh, there was one of the spoilers that um it was a good spoiler, I think. I mean, he didn't really come off as having an attitude. 
was Dr. Bradford Burns. Dr. Uh, Bradford Burns was very low-key, very quiet, uh, a good player, wasn't cocky, never, you know, rooted against the contestants. But he, as of, I think about 2004, 2005, was still working at, uh, the I think it was the University of Oklahoma, I believe. Um, unfortunately, I don't know what's happened to him since then, if he's retired or if he's since passed on. But he's one that shows up kind of often on the show and uh, w- was a very strong player. So one spoiler that particularly stuck out in my mind, and she is incredibly sharp, and she's going to be part of a clip that's going to come up later on the in, the, in this episode. Uh, I believe her name was Kathy Asari. And she was basically the Anne Hegarty slash Jenny Ryan of her day. Nothing got past her. Absolutely nothing. But she was very, but, you know, I was looking at videos in preparation of this episode, and she seemed genuinely remorseful for this sort of thing. She seems like she was incredibly remorseful. like, I can't help it that I know this stuff. Why are you looking at me like that? And of, and of course, uh, Mike and I, being very active in quizzing, we know people like that today. Like yes, oh, we do. Yes, I, I I am raising my hand and giving the Blake Shelton point here. Anyway, yeah, but we won't um, mention any names. Yes. <laughs> But but Chico, I think I can outdo you with maybe the most polarizing spoiler of them all. Oh, really now? Dr. Ralph Doty. Oh, boy. I think he personally fed off of not just contestants disliking him, but audience members disliking him. He was not a very lovable person, in my opinion. There's one incident which sort of led me to this conclusion. This happened on the third to last episode of Double Dare back in April of 1977. I'm going to let the clip speak for itself when he gives his answer to uh, one of the puzzles in the the spoilers round. And wait, wait for the booing at the end. You'll hear, you know, like the audience go from applauding to to booing kind of quickly. Shows you how much he was loved. Pass it, and we'll go for four in a row. row. All right. Okay. Uh, number eight. In this play, Portia gives the speech which begins, the quality of mercy is not strained. <laughs> Somebody yelled, give up. <laughs> Wait a minute, I've seen worse things happen. All right, here we go. Spoilers. The subject is a title, and here is your first clue. In this play, Portia gives the speech which begins, The quality of mercy is not strained. Dr. Doty will hear your answer first. Hold it a second. Just a second now. We didn't hear it. Your microphone was not turned Ah. Now you can... You missed my performance. It droppeth as the gentle rain from heaven upon the place beneath. It is twice blessed. It blesseth him that gives and him that takes. That's from the Merchant of Venice. Dr. Doty, you are correct, but the audience doesn't like you. Tough. That's $100 for him. Man, what a heel. That 
son of a bleep. And actually, on the last uh, show, Alex did call him an expletive deleted. So, so your little beep, yeah, he is a, an expletive deleted. <laughs> so it shows maybe how much Alex enjoyed him, or, or in terms of at least uh, maybe Alex's disappointment that that Ralph Doty spoiled uh, a champion's winnings yet again. But also, in addition to the spoilers. We've got to talk about the contestants because, really, this is almost a breeding ground for future contestants on other shows. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember. Well, I, there are two contestants that sort of stick out in my mind. The first one, we cannot talk about Double Dare without talking about Alan Lusher. And Mike, you know who I'm talking about right now. Oh, he, he was just about as polarizing as Dr. Ralph Doty. Yeah, he, but he was the king, man. But he was the king. He, he was on for eight episodes. Uh, he was one of the few, if not the only, contestant to retire from Double Dare undefeated because he had amassed... $2,500. Yeah, he amassed over $20,000 playing the game, and that was the limit at the time. But he was another one of those figures where you either liked him or you hated him. There was no middle ground. Yeah, he's the only contestant to retire undefeated. But also, he at least uh, later went on to Jeopardy. Mm-hmm. And who's your other contestant that you remember? On the other side of the equation, you have a guy by the name of Ray Winston, who was a really good player in the front end. And then he met the spoilers, including the aforementioned Dr. Kathy Asari. And this is when I looked at her face and, well, I uh, this is one of those times where I wish this was a video podcast because she had that look on her face that basically said she was on Third Street and she just wanted to say, well, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I know this. I have, I, I am paid to know this and I know this, so. I'm sorry. Oh, oh yeah, but... and also we should add regarding the spoilers, if they got the uh, answer correct, they did get $100. Mm-hmm. So there was financial incentive for the spoilers to to ruin the, the winner's day. Yeah. Although I'm not sure she liked it at all, but I'll let the clip speak for itself. You have now used four passes. But you, I'll tell you what you have done. You have enabled us on Double Dare to have a very clean-looking board. I mean, we got four passes right up there. And we know now that we are going to have to give away the remaining clues. What order do you want to try them in? Five. Okay. I like that. You show imagination. With the aid of a Howard Hughes salvage ship, this organization reportedly recovered part of a Soviet submarine. We got to give it to him. I know. Okay, keep your fingers crossed. Hey, I've stood in this position before where we had to give four clues in a row and the contestant wound up with $5,000. There's no reason why it can't happen to you. Spoilers? The subject is an organization, and here is your first clue. With the aid of a Howard Hughes salvage ship, this organization reportedly recovered part of a Soviet submarine. We'll go to spoiler number one, Dr. Tuckman. The CIA. Dr. Tuckman... You are right. You have just won $100. Let's go to Dr. Durbin. Spoiler number two. The Central Intelligence Agency. You are right. That's $100 that you have just won. 
Now, I should mention for the benefit of our studio audience and our viewers that spoiler number three, Dr. Aseri, has been very sharp all week. Let's see what happens on this. Spoiler number three, Dr. Aseri, your answer? CIA. That's the right answer, Dr. Aseri. Spoilers, uh, you have prevented our champion from earning one single dollar. Congratulations to you. Our producer is very happy, but our contestant is not. However, he has $500 in cash, so we say goodbye to the spoilers. And I will tell you that uh, $500 is a nice, nice base on which to start building. And as our champion, you get to face another contestant. Also, I want to talk about uh, Ray Winston in a couple of other uh, ways. First, Chico said he would just fold at the spoilers. We mentioned that Alan Lesher retired after being a champion eight times and surpassing the $20,000 winnings limit. Ray Winston didn't retire. He didn't win enough money to retire from the show, but he was on the show, I believe, 12 or 13 shows. He was on for longer than Alan Lesher. It's just I think his one loss record at the spoilers was, I want to say, maybe one win and, again, like, 11 losses or 12 losses. So he was not the best at the spoiler round. And I think he ended up winning, I want to say somewhere in the range of about $13,000. Not bad, but you know, if he had just even a little bit better luck at the spoilers, he could have easily surpassed $20,000. But also about Ray Winston, and this may be something you guys don't know. Uh, he was on sale of the century back in 1983. And he was, Denied the prizes he won. How? And what? he and, and he won a lot of prizes. I think he may have won the lot. He may have won it all. How is that possible? Well, if you remember, and this is still true, I think, to a point nowadays, the networks had a limit on how many game shows you could appear within a certain time frame or within your lifetime. Yeah. Well, there was a limit uh, on NBC at the time that you could appear on three game shows. If if this is your fourth or more, you're disqualified. Well, problem is Ray Winston was on split second. Ray Winston was on three for the money. And Ray Winston was on Double Dare. That would be three shows. He went on sale. That was his fourth show. On his application, he said that he was on Split second, and he said he was on three for the money, but he didn't mention Double Dare. Oh. So once they got wind of it, they withheld his prizes, which I believe were in the $90,000 range. And again, this is $90,000 in 1983 money. $90,000 is still $90,000. But, but also, if I was going to forget a TV show I was on, I wouldn't forget the one that I was on for... 13 episodes? <laughs> I mean, even at one point, Ray Winston was on so long that when the show opened, Alex Trebek didn't come out. It was Ray Winston because he had been on for like 10 or 11 days. Yeah. He was like a fixture on the show. But yeah, so, so because he didn't disclose he was on Double Dare, and this was his fourth game show, Sale of the Century being his fourth game show, he lost out on a lot of prizes. And you, if you actually do search Ray Winston, Sale of the Century, uh, you can find a legal webpage regarding that whole incident. 
because I believe it didn't even get resolved until after sale of the century was canceled in 1989. So it, it went on for the better part of like six years. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Cause, uh, between yeah, I, appeals and whatnot, I'm looking at the, it, I'm looking at says, the case right now. I'm looking at it right now. Raymond Winston plaintiff and appellant versus national broadcasting company decided May 28th, 1981. So yeah, that's eight years afterwards. Jeez. So yeah, uh, that's one of the more interesting uh, contestants that ended up on Double Dare. That he'd actually go on to win big on another show, but in actuality, he didn't win a thing because he was a little mistaken on his contestant application. And as Chico and I can vouch for, they want the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And they make you sign it, saying, "Yeah, to the best of my knowledge, everything uh, above is true." Well, that's what you get to when you signed a legally binding contract, if you will. Uh-huh. Well, some other contestants that really like stood out for me and went on to bigger and better things. Mort Kamens was on Double Dare. And he was actually, I believe, the first person to win the lot on Sale of the Century. Speaking of Sale of the Century, uh, he was also, I believe, on the international competition that happened at, like in 85. Uh, all told, I think his... Game show winnings, at least in daytime game show winnings, are close to a quarter million dollars. And again, this is like 1983 or earlier era, so that could be worth you know three times as much, seven hundred and fifty, eight hundred thousand dollars nowadays. But also, you had some other contestants who uh, were on other shows. You had Marvin Shankman, who was on Jeopardy. I believe he was in the Tournament of Champions. Uh, but also, he was a five-time winner on Split Second and won a car back in 19, I believe, 75, right at the end of its run. Yes, and that episode does, in fact, exist. Oh, yes. That, that was one of the first Split Seconds to appear out uh, in the trading circuit. Uh, you also had Sarah Beth Rothfeld, who went on the uh, Double Dare as Sassy Rothfeld. And you're saying, who is Sarah Beth Rothfeld? Okay, you're not saying who is Sarah Beth Rothfeld. <laughs> hey, hey, Mike. Hey, Mike. Who is Sarah Beth Rothfeld? Why, I'm glad you asked. Sarah Beth Rothfeld actually went on to face the music about four years later, three to four years later, and she actually is the only champion to have won 10 games on, on Face the Music, won what? the car. Yeah, she, she retired as a 10-time champion, won the, the Datsun, and won whatever the bigger prize was, whether it's a trip around the world. I think it was a trip around the world. So, yeah, she's the biggest winner in the history of, oh, yeah, I forgot, future installment, Face the Music. And she also later appeared on, not installment yet, but I'm sure we may rectify that soon. She was on Match Game in 1998. I shall look, but I think you're right there. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure we haven't added Match Game 98, but it's just a matter of time. Another Jay Wolper joint. So what happened to Double Dare? Why did it get canceled after essentially 20 weeks? It was just too smart of a TV show for a daytime audience. Yeah, it was also a bit too complex for a daytime audience as well. It, it I mean, too- you can, Jeopardy proved that you can be a very smart daytime TV show. Art Fleming made that show work. 
Double Dare basically took the Jeopardy formula and kicked it up a notch. Yeah, and that's why it's kind of like Jeopardy meets 21, basically. But also, on top of that, if you remember back in the 70s, uh, housewives were a popular thing. Uh, They were. I mean, I don't want to sound sexist, but back in the 70s, housewives were reasonably common. And you need to remember that not necessarily about the housewives, but if they're doing chores, taking care of the kids, cleaning the house, what have you, they're not really necessarily watching the TV. They'll be listening to it. And this is one of those shows where the player one factor, especially if you have like a vacuum running or some noise in the background, this it's is a very a great, visual show. It's a very visual yes. show. There's there's not a good play along factor unless you you're watching. So it's just too smart for its audience. But also, I, I just find it interesting. Uh, I believe one potential replacement for Double Dare in 1977, and this is actually going to be coming up in a future episode, is CBS did a pilot for Jeopardy which became Jeopardy that was on NBC in 1978 and 79. We're not going to get into details about specifics here, but that was a potential replacement was what you saw on NBC in 78, 79. I'm pretty sure was made to replace uh, double dare just based on when the pilot was recorded. And also again, like we said, double dare is at a similar level, if not a higher level than Jeopardy. So maybe Jeopardy was like a a light version. Maybe it might have worked, but who knows? It it didn't make it past pilot stage, at least in 1977. I want to take a look to see what time it aired, because that might have had a lot to do with it. If you remember uh, from, okay, 1976 to 77. 10.30. Yeah, that definitely would not have worked. Because, again, who who is the audience for a show like Jeopardy? College students. When did that air? Over their lunch breaks. Right? Yes. No, you're right. Je- Jeopardy, I think, aired... Uh... Jeopardy aired later in the afternoon at your 1 or 1.30 block. Well, back in the 70s. Uh, back in the 60s, it aired at 11.30. So, yeah... Just right around the middle of the afternoon. Well, actually, by by uh, well, in 1970, it was airing at noon. So, yeah, I mean, pretty much sometime in the late morning, you'd have Jeopardy, which would coincide with lunches and uh, and t- you know time off at work, possibly. Not that maybe necessarily there are a lot of TVs and workplaces in 1970, but yeah, I mean, they had the right idea in that case. Double Dare was 11 a.m. and then it got pushed to 10 a.m. Yeah, that's not conducive to a lunch schedule. Uh, especially the 10 a.m. Especially the 10 a.m., yes. And th- that was just for the last about month and a half of the run. But also, I, if you look at the original airtime of 11, it did air after a, a certain little show which aired for an hour called The Price is Right. So it had a lead-in. had a very good lead-in. It had to have been up against something to, you know, sort of. Oh, oh, an, another another little show called Wheel of Fortune. Yeah. So we're talking about two shows that, yeah, forty three years later are still on the air. 
which is kind of just absolutely mind blowing. So, so, so okay, let me get this straight. So, if Double Dare had been replaced by Jeopardy, would Jeopardy have gone against Wheel of Fortune? No, because Double Dare had moved to 10 a.m. Okay. by March of '77. It would have been going on against, or it would have Sanford been going up Sun reruns. Yeah, it would have been going up against Sanford okay. and Sun reruns. Yeah, because I don't think NBC would be happy with Merv having two shows against each other. Well, no. I don't. I don't think Merv would be happy with having no. two Merv shows going up against each other. And even so, again, ten o'clock is is not conducive to a hard quiz. Ten o'clock is sort of fluffer netter time. Look at what was on at ten o'clock, both before and after the move. The Price is Right. And then on NBC at the Hollywood Squares, which was not a hard quiz at all. It was... It was celebrities having a party. I mean, both Price is Right and the Hollywood Squares, really good shows. But Double Dare stuck out like a sore thumb. Yeah, it was too smart for its own good. Too smart for the room, as it were. Yeah. Well, got. Well, guys, Double Dare, though, would certainly have a legacy that went far beyond the lifespan of this show. Because we, the theme music for this show would have yeah, We haven't talked about that. Yeah. The theme music. You might recognize on another show. Because in another year or so, NBC would premiere a little show from Mark Goodson, Bill Todman Productions, hosted by Jim Perry, called Card Sharks. And they would reuse the opening theme from Double Dare on that show. Not only that, they would re- Fremantle would remix said theme music for the 2019 version. Yes. Yeah, so, so the music you hear on Card Sharks nowadays... It's great-grandfather was the original Double Dare music back in 1976. That's a 40-year-old track y'all are bopping to. And not only that, but the sound effect for the opening of the clue board and the isolation booths would later be used for the Prices Rights Penny Ante and Vendo Pricey Games, as well as the bonus round level wind-up sound on Jack Berry's The Joker's Wild. Yep. And also they used a truncated version of the famous losing horns from The Price is Right for bonus round losses. They sure did. Yes, they as you, did. As you heard in the earlier uh, Ray Winston clip. But guys, if you do want to watch the 1976 Goodson Todman version of Double Dare, Amazon Prime has the first 20 episodes of the series available for streaming. And that does include all eight of Alan Lusher's episodes. Yep. And also Dr. Lee Franz. No answer. (laughs) (laughs) One of the other things about uh, Double Dare that really stood out, it had an electronic game board and really, I don't think anything up to that time compared to this. I mean, Family Feud's kind of, sort of, but that wasn't necessarily electronic because I believe the 
the different characters were like um they were basically they basically used a bus toad. Yeah. A, a really large bus toad. You're talking about Family Feud? Yes. Yeah, uh, Family Feud uh was like that it, it had uh like a neon uh sticker on one side and there was like a switch to activate it. This I believe was fully electronic. And I can only imagine how long it took to not just create this, but also to put the clues in. I'm sure they could just generate clues by typing it up. But again, 1976 technology is a lot different than than 2020 technology. So it, it was very mind-blowing for back in the day. And even the animation of the opening logo, uh, the animation of the logo in the show's open on that electronic board, that was pretty cool for 1976. It really was. But also, uh, another thing uh, that we're going to mention, and we're probably going to end on this, is one real famous person besides Alex Trebek was an alumnus of this show. And she would go on to uh, be on a couple of shows. She'd uh, She'd later go on to be on The Fall Guy and also Night Court. And we're talking about Marky Post. She was yes. a writer. She was a writer on Double Dare. Really? I knew That's she what... was. I knew she was a big uh, game show fan, but well, yeah, I, th- I think she was a researcher, a writer for Split Second before that. Marky Post definitely cut her teeth on game shows back in the seventies. Yes. Well, also she uh, did. Uh, you know, talking about card sharks earlier. She also was a dealer on Card Sharks for a brief while on the original version. She was, yes. So so it's all come full circle. Yes, she has. Well, Double Dare in 1976, some of the sounds and music would live on. Certainly the title would live on on another show, on another network in eight years. And it, and it was a bit too smart for the room. And, but... Whether or not Ray Winston wants to remember it, it was a thing on TV. Indeed it was. As always, remember, uh, we're at www.itwasathingontv.com. You can find prior episodes there. You can find our social media links. Don't forget, please like and subscribe. Please rate and review. And And as, as Chico would say... Don't forget to share, because sharing is caring. Exactly. Well, until next week when we have two more great episodes, and oh, I oh, one of these is a Greg episode. We'll just get it out of the way. To, actually, you can make a case that both episodes are Greg episodes. Oh, definitely. definitely. Well, well, I'm, look, I'm, looking at the, I'm looking at the calendar now. Yes, both of them are Greg episodes. And the second one is going to be all me, baby. The fr- well, well, the first one, I'm going to help you out. The second one, definitely all you. No, I think we can both help out on both shows. Oh, definitely. Uh, oh, because I think both of us have stuff to say about at least the second show. Uh, yes, I yes we do. Well, yes. spe- well, especially the last subject of episode two. And yes. you know what I'm talking about, Mike. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Oh, yes, I know what you're talking about. I think we all know what you're talking about. Yes. 
but that'll be next week. Uh, thank you as always for listening. Thank you to Greg for assisting and, and thank you for, to Chico for assisting. I'm Mike. And until those new episodes pop up, please have a great remainder of the week. Thanks for listening. 50-50 tie. Our champion and our challenger. As we go to this subject, it is a thing. And here's the answer. And here is the first clue. The more horizontal this thing is kept while in action, the more likely you'll get what you're after. <laughs> Number two. In the film Walkabout, the lead male straps one against his thigh with his loincloth. Next clue. To use one properly, grip it firmly with three fingers at the curve near the tip. Number four. If yours weighs more than eight ounces, don't expect it to arc back after you've used it. John? A bro. Wrong. Eileen, he gave us an incorrect answer, so you get a look at a penalty clue. Elia Kazan directed a movie with this thing as its title about a murder that backfires on the guilty parties. Free guess for you, Eileen. A bow. Wrong. Wrong answer from both of you. We continue. According to legend, these things were sent out to capture and return the sun. To this day, they mimic that action. Clue number seven. For use in warfare, hooks placed at the ends of these things become lethal as they whirl into the adversary. John. Boomerang. You're right. You take the lead. You go to $100. Wow! No answer. Ha <laughs> <laughs>